0: Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Elmer. We've talked a lot about cybersecurity on Fear and Greed and about the alarming number of individuals and businesses that have been the victims of cyber attack in Australia. But we haven't talked much about what happens to data when it's stolen, how it's used, how to get it back, and how much your details can sell for on the dark web. Lawrence Patrick is a cybersecurity expert with Australian company Cirilio. And my guest this morning, Lawrence, welcome to Fear and Greed.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So let's start off, Lawrence. What is the dark web exactly?
1: So the dark web is a part of the internet where hackers and cyber criminals hang out. If you could visualize, you know, people doing illicit deals in shady dark alleys and you know exchanging goods. That's a digital equivalent of uh, the dark web. It is a collection of websites that are not accessible by regular people. You actually need special software tools to even be able to see these websites, but they do exist. And um, this is where people go to buy and sell stolen data, sometimes to buy and sell exploits that allow people to crack into software and use it for nefarious means. So the dark web is kind of where the hackers and cyber criminals hang out on the internet.
0: Okay. So we we often talk about the cost of business, ranging from the ransoms paid to get data back through to the cost of having all your IT frozen for days on end, et cetera. But you've got data from the other side of the equation or the other side of the transaction from the dark web, how much the stolen data is actually selling for. So can we go through some of those? I thought it was really, really fascinating. So medical records is the average asking price in 2022 for medical records is kind of $400 plus, which is actually very high at the very high end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, medical records are very prized in terms of stolen data. And part of the reason is that they have a perfect combination of super reliable personal details. I mean, your medical records are not likely to be out of date or inaccurate. So it's the, sort of the gold standard in terms of, of accuracy of the records and and the personal identifying information. But then also you got financial transaction information. And because it's quite sensitive, it's very easy to launch a ransomware campaign once you have these types of medical records. But in terms of on the on the dark web and, and hackers buying and selling them, you know, if you wanted to target an individual, you know, having access to medical records uh, is is very is a very powerful way to target people, and this is part of the reason why it commands such a high price on the dark web.
0: Okay, does that mean there are more? Cyber attacks on medical facilities, hospitals, doctors, surgeries, those sorts of things because of the value of the data?
1: Yeah, that's right. We have seen increased activity in Australia. The, the Australian Cybersecurity Center has actually issued an alert last year reminding hospitals and doctors' offices and healthcare facilities of all kinds that they are targeted by these hackers and that they have to take measures to, you know, find. Outside partners, you know, whether it's Zerilio or other companies, to try to help them strengthen their cyber defense because they really are big targets. And we've seen a wave of ransomware attacks going after that data in Australia. That unfortunately, there were even some hospitals that were shut down and, you know, unable to complete surgeries and unable to sort of move forward with their daily operations. Um, which you, you can imagine is very scary for a hospital to actually lose operational focus because of a cyber attack.
0: Now, I'm not going to go through them all, but sort of crypto accounts are worth about 120 to 550 It's quite a range. Driver's license is at $200. What I thought was interesting, that credit card details with CVV, that's the security number on the back of the card, was only $40. Why is that? I would have thought that was a really good one for a criminal to have.
1: Yeah, well, it's very interesting. And this is sort of part of the point that we want to make is that it's very counterintuitive. You know, if you ask the average person on the street, you know, their, their most valuable asset, they would probably think their wallet with their credit card, right? Or their bank yeah. card. They would say, well, that's where the money is. So obviously that's the thing that, you know, that people would try to steal. But in fact, you know, banks and credit card companies have actually done a pretty good job of making it easy to change those numbers. So the second you realize you've been compromised or if your wallet physically gets stolen, it's fairly trivial, fairly fairly easy to request a brand new number to change that code, that three-digit code on the back and basically reset those details to make it essentially useless for charging up. Now that's only if you realize it's gone, which is why they still do have some value. But, um, but you know, those, those things are pretty easy to reset. Some credit cards now even will automatically expire that three-digit code after a certain period of time. So the credit card companies and banks have, have gotten more sophisticated, and you'll know, step their game up a little bit around trying to help consumers um, with that type of fraud, but it does still exist, which is why they have some value.
0: Okay, and then some of the social media accounts, actually being able to access individual social media account has a higher value than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, social media can be really powerful from the standpoint of creating disruption and chaos. You know, people really value their social media presence. In particular, if you're able to get control of the social media account of a brand or company, that could be quite valuable and they would be willing to pay a lot to get access back to it. But in general, you know, people live on social media. And yep. so cyber criminals are smart. You know, they go to where people spend their time and energy. And because people are just so fascinated and so enthralled by spending time on social media, it does get a disproportionate level of attack and, and, and has a lot of value. You now, one of the things that people can do with social media is they can create more sophisticated targeting of other individuals. So, for example, you know, the best way to target someone is to make them think that, they're receiving an authentic message from someone they know. Yeah. Um, most people will give you a lot of details and give you a lot of information if you impersonate someone that they know and they believe, you know, they're talking to someone they know or someone who's trusted. So through social media, you can very easily, you know, send a flurry of messages out and get very good responses. There's a gift card scam that people do where they ask you to, uh, you know, send them some money on a gift card, and this is one where social media account is very valuable because if you use someone's social media account say, hey, I'm stranded in this destination. I was traveling and I lost all my credit cards. Can you just send me some money? And you send that same message out to everybody on someone's Facebook friends list, you can imagine the kind of damage that gets done in a very short amount of time. Stay with me, Lawrence. We'll be back in a minute.
0: My guest this morning is Lawrence Patrick from cybersecurity company,
1: Zerilio. Okay, so how's the data obtained? Is it mostly from attacks on big companies? That's correct. You know, one of the reason why hackers are so interested in targeting these soft targets such as hospitals and schools and universities, nonprofit organizations, social serving organizations. We we really seeing an increase in the targeting of all of these soft targets. They're not going after banks and credit card companies so much. They're going after targets that have you no know, more personal details because um, that's what they want. They want the personal data. So what they do is they use malware tools. So they use a special toolkit of software that is mostly automated, that allows them to relentlessly attack the network of the organization until they can find a, a weak spot. Um, and then once they're in, they kind of hang out and figure out you know, how to go lateral and sort of what other surfaces they can attack within the organization to get a sense of sort of the map of the terrain. And then once they feel very confident, I should say once the software has a sense of that, um, the software can then alert the hacker to you know sort of press the button and deliver a payload and go after the target. And nine times out of ten, that target is you know elevating to administrative privileges and going after a big database, uh, usually a customer database. That's typically what hackers look for because that customer database has all of these you know personal details, a lot of times payment information, but the credentials because a lot of people reuse their username and password. So it's sort of a double win if the hackers are successful because in addition to getting that database, which they can then chop up and sell on the dark web for money, they also get a bunch of logins and passwords, which could be useful to attack other websites and other companies. So if you reuse your username and password, and they stole your username and password from, say, a hospital. They can then go around to other websites and try that same combination to see if you've reused it. And if you have reused it, they may gain access to five or six other accounts that you have. So, who's doing the buying of this product? Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a there's a big industry around you know cyber crime and you know cyber criminals uh, buying these stolen credentials and then repackaging them. So so essentially the way that would look is if I was a bad guy, you know, I go on the dark web, I see someone's, you know, offering 5,000 Medicare accounts with usernames and passwords and personal details. And I buy that. Well, now I can take that and then I can have a software program that automatically runs against those usernames and passwords that people are using for their MyGov for Medicare and test other websites to see if any of those match. And I may, from that, I may get you know five hundred accounts for you know a bank or a thousand accounts for uh, email accounts that I can now use that I can now log into people's email, and from being able to log into people's email, I now have access to essentially all of their accounts and all of their traffic. But the other big buyer is you know we we have a nation state problem, which means that you know we have a lot of countries in the world whose military hackers. So these are actually soldiers whose job is to essentially sit at a keyboard and either design hacking tools or um, use those hacking tools to get valuable data. And so you have several nation states, you know, North Korea, Iran, China, Russia are some of the big ones. And um, this is what they do 24 by 7. And so in a lot of cases, they're the ones who are actually doing the hacking and they're also buying data. They're doing hacking. And at the same time, they're also buying. So they're sort of selling and buying at the same time because what they're trying to do is they're trying to amass a more valuable and more accurate database on different countries. And that becomes very useful to them in the time of a conflict if they try to engage in cyber warfare. And so this is a pattern that we've seen. You know, It's been very well documented by the United Nations. They put out a report last year pointing out that North Korea had stolen more than 400 million dollars in cryptocurrency by breaking into people's individual crypto wallets and also building this database and buying these stolen data uh, records to build a massive database of individuals uh, around the world. So, you know, we know this is a big problem and this is part of the reason why the, the cybersecurity industry is really trying to come together to do something about it. It's almost modern day spies. It is, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting in the spy movies. I think they always underestimated the power of technology. Um, One of the interesting things about technology is that Moore's law, which essentially says that compute power doubles every two years. um, You know, Moore's law is powerful. It applies equally to everything, including the bad guys. So in the James Bond movies (laughs) mission impossible and stuff, you know, like, you know, Ethan Hunt's got to break into like this secure facility and Langley and, you know he can't touch the floor and it's like very dramatic and very visual the reality is that the real attacks come from software uh yeah. and people using server farms so it's very interesting you know how different the reality is from the movies so ethan's not real is that what you're trying to tell me ah he's real he's just a nerdy hacker probably wearing a hoodie you know <laughs> <laughs> drinking red bull <laughs> fair enough fair enough. look one of the services offered by Zerilio is penetration
0: testing and we've heard lots about penetration testing though I don't think a lot of us quite understand what it is it's kind of ethical hacking it's like hacking for good guys or something
1: yeah that's exactly right and that's one of the things that we do to help you know organizations and businesses in Australia um, with penetration testing it's it's something that a lot more organizations are realizing they need to do and it's exactly what you said you know we sort of we we're the good guys but we pretend to be the bad guys and we take a look holistically at your system to see where the weaknesses are. And then we give you a really detailed report at all of the things you need to correct and fix and strengthen to, you know, to increase your, your cybersecurity maturity level and your your security posture. It's really important because how will you know where your weaknesses are unless you test it? You know, you can't just go, oh, I installed some software to protect me. Now I'm great. I don't have to worry. It doesn't quite work that way. You know, you really do need to actively check it. And so you know we have an amazing team of cybersecurity engineers. Um, that's one of the things that makes our company stand out, I think, is, is we just have an amazing level of expertise and technical prowess. And so we're, we're always you know, able to help our customers, and it's very collaborative, you know, working with them to help find these problems and then, and then come up with a plan for how we can correct it.
0: Lawrence, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it.
0: That was Lawrence Patrick from cybersecurity company Zerilio. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.